The world as we know it continues to evolve and change into something that we can only hope to understand. This is why the registry continues to provide industry insights through personal interviews with the leaders who are shaping real estate on a daily basis. By subscribing to our podcast, you are helping us in our work, and we will continue to deliver programming such as the one you're about to hear. Please click the subscribe button and let your friends and colleagues know about us. It will help you and the industry stay ahead of the game. Today we sit down with Matt Sleppin, the founder of TerraSearch Partners, a Bay Area-based executive search firm that specializes in the real estate industry. Matt is an old friend of ours and has collaborated with the registry over the years. Matt founded his firm around the concept that retained executive search has the power to help clients beyond the job placement. The TerraSearch approach is to use search as a journey through which Matt's firm and his clients are able to look deeply at the structure of a client's organization, its place in the competitive landscape, and how strategic hiring can improve their business well into the future. Matt is passionate about real estate and its role in our economy. Since 2017, Matt has been the host of the podcast series Leading Voices in Real Estate, where he has had conversations with leaders from throughout the real estate industry about their career journeys and the businesses that they run. The series offers insights into pathways to success and the difference that the real estate industry can make in the way we live, work, and play. Welcome, Matt. Matt, good afternoon. How are you? I'm fine, Vlad. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for taking the time to chat with us. You've been a long friend of the registry, so I'm very excited to chat with you and get uh, you know insights from what you're seeing in the industry. You have a very unique perspective, I think, on uh, kind of the industry um, in general. But uh, before we we go there, uh, where where do we find you today? Where where are you? So I'm sitting in the town of Glen Ellen in Sonoma County. We have a weekend home that became our maybe primary our yeah. primary <laughs> residence at the beginning of COVID. And so we've been here since March, as so many people have been. You talk to people in different states than they're supposed to be in. Right. But we're in Glen Ellen, and we have no fires nearby at the moment, and fingers crossed for that for the long term. Yeah, yeah. Well, there are certainly worse places to be stuck, I think, during this pandemic, right? It's been great. Um, great. Um, well, as I said, uh, you have a very unique perspective on, um, on the industry. Tell us a little bit about your firm and uh, sort of by way of introduction, kind of, you know, what, what you guys do and your your sphere of influence, if you will. Yeah, so I'm the founder and managing partner of a company called TerraSearch Partners, T-E-R-R-A. We are an executive recruiting firm. We only do work in the real estate business. Uh, we're 13 years old, and uh, we have about 11 people all over the country, four on the East Coast, the remainder here on the West Coast. We only touch the real estate industry, so we're more real estate people than we are headhunters. We do executive search, so we kind of companies hire us to place people generally who make more than three hundred grand or mid career people and up. Given yeah. that, so that's kind of what what it looks like. We work in all sectors of the real estate industry. Uh, we work at for all functions in the real estate industry. We could talk about that and what it means, but that's what we do. Yeah, excellent. And I 
probably uh, think you want to give a shout out also to your little side gig there uh, as a mm-hmm. as a podcaster too. Um, it's it's a really impressive list of people in the commercial real estate industry in general. But tell us a little bit about sort of that and you know how that started and kind of uh, what you've gained out of uh, doing this podcast now for for you know several years. Yeah, so we have a podcast called Leading Voices in Real Estate, and I'll now say there were two inspirations for this. One was I was doing a column for you uh, for the registry about four years ago, and I was interviewing real estate leaders in the Bay Area, and what we were talking about was uh, kind of my perspective, which I really care about, which was why does the platform what does the meaning of the platform in the real estate organization as separate from a collection of assets? Yeah. That was the thesis of that series. And I had a blast talking to people. And uh, right around the time that we were doing that, uh, the Urban Land Institute came to me and said, hey, would you consider hosting a podcast and uh, to talk to leaders in the real estate business? And it was like a dream come true for me. I was a radio, I had a radio show in college and I love talking to leaders because that's what I do for a living. So it was uh, just a really cool thing. So that was three years ago. Uh, we did about 20 episodes with ULI, okay. uh, ending with the episode with Sam Zell. And then they canceled the podcast for a bunch of reasons. And uh, okay. we that's very curious. It, it, it was curious, yeah. confusing, and heartbreaking because here I had this thing that I love to do and you know, we had a lot of listeners and we made a lot of traction and we have a mission to it, which I'll describe. And so then we took it over ourselves. And so we're now 80 episodes. We released, we're, I think either today we released the 81st episode. And we've talked to leaders from throughout the real estate industry, every sector, almost every city in the country. Yeah, uh, We've talked to senior people like Sam Zell and Art Gensler and Gerald Hines, who sure. just re-released his episode in memoriam. We've talked to people who are REIT executives. We've probably had 10 kind of CEOs of REITs. We've talked to leading architects, city planners. So we're really presenting the diversity of perspective in the real estate business um, across sectors and across geographies yeah. and the rest of it. And we really try to talk to two audiences. One is leaders learning from other leaders and hearing career journey stories and success stories. But I really am talking to young people considering careers in real estate, trying to inspire them about the, that which we do. And then also about pathways to become phenomenally successful. When you start your career, you look ahead and you go, how am I going to get to anywhere, let alone you know, some of the places that these people have gotten to. Yeah. And I think podcasting is a fantastic medium to accomplish that. And that's why I said earlier, I'm sort of curious if, if you were producing something of quality for the ULI, why they decided to kind of move, move away from, from that, everything that we've seen, um, the, you know, demographics on the podcasting in general are, you know, trending younger. And if you want to, you know, get your name out there, this is the best way to do it. So, um, but I do want to stick around uh, your podcast just for a second while longer, um, because just in the you know last you know few weeks, you, like you said, we lost Gerald Hines and John Stewart, right? Um, mm-hmm. Recently, and you you did send out kind of a follow up email today, act, as a matter of fact, kind of you know reminding people that you know here's some here's some you know things here's here are two episodes, right? Two shows that you did with them. 
you know, tell us, uh, you know, a little bit about sort of your experience kind of talking with them and kind of some, some of the, you know, lessons learned from legends of the industry like, like that. Yeah. So I've been so lucky in the podcast and blessed to learn from many, many legends, both John Stewart and Gerald Hines included. Gerald Hines was absolutely fascinating. I got to be in his office. Uh, his PR guy was with us in the room. We were overlooking one of his most famous projects, the Galleria, and we got to talk all through his career. I think he was 93 at the time, maybe he died at 95. I mean, he'd be off by a year. But just to be in the presence of someone like that, hearing about their career, their life, and how they built a company as really enduring as his was uh, just amazing. I've heard it from others, but you know, to be to be with Gerald Himes kind of blew me away. John Stewart's one of my mentors in the business. I met him 40 years ago when I was in Washington, okay. D.C., and he was one of the people who I got to meet and said, well, I want to be like that guy when I grow up. <laughs> right. And then 40 years later, uh, you know, we we're both living in San Francisco and John had just recovered from what turned out to be his first round of cancer. And I was with a couple of friends and we said, hey, I got to get him on the podcast because, and if you know John a little bit, he had an inimitable voice. He was a larger than life, warm, funny person. And to hear his stories and hear his perspective and his passion, we were just lucky to get it on tape and I'm happy to have released it upon his passing. We also re-released about a year ago, uh, Phil Freelon, uh, an African-American architect okay. who, when I interviewed him, had Lou Gehrig's disease, I think is what it was. And um, But he died. So we put him out and I think we're going to keep doing that in the podcast when these people pass because some of these stories and just honor what they've talked about is just a, we're lucky to be able to. hundred percent. Yeah. And I agree with you, uh, Matt. I think there's something about the, you know, the voice and hearing the tone of the person that you're interviewing. And I think mm -hmm. it just doesn't, you know, compare to, you know, written word, whether it's on a screen or on a piece of paper and it, and it, um, just adds another, another dimension to the, to the interview and to the discussion. And so I, I have found that to be really rewarding. And I have to say, I didn't anticipate it when we first kicked off our podcast, but, right. um, you know, it's, it seems like, you know, that's something that you're also finding is, uh, extremely valuable also. Well, I think one thing that happens is when you write, you're constantly editing that which you write to write it carefully. Even if you're writing an interview, you're you're editing sure. through it. And the one thing I know happens to me, and, and I'm now thinking of the other end, end of the spectrum where I interviewed a young leader, a guy named Ricardo Pagan in Los Angeles, and I did an interview for the podcast with him in front of a live audience of young ULI young leaders. Uh, this is about six months ago, eight months ago. And my sense of wonderment in the conversation and where it twists and turns in hearing his story, my jaw was dropping through the interview on the things he had accomplished at a young age and how he'd done it. And you can't get that sense. If you write it, you, you look for words instead of feelings. And right. the feelings really do come through um, in, in a conversation. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, so 
Matt, we've already spent 10 minutes and we haven't even talked about the, about the business yet. So <laughs> I guess that's an indication of a, of a good interview, I think, right? Um, yeah. Well, I do want to get us back to the conversation of uh, you know sure. real estate and uh, Terra Search Partners and what, what, what you guys do. From your business, um, w- would you consider yourself to be cyclical, counter-cyclical to the industry or maybe constant? How? How would you how would you position the recruiting side of uh, of the of the industry? Yeah, so I think we long thought it's the canary in the coal mine, and and actually I tell the story all the time when the GFC hit uh, back in was it oh eight? I think over a three week period of time we lost eighty percent of our pipeline. Wow! And you know I got calls would be like oh someone else is calling. And people were canceling searches, searches that we've collected 50, 60, you know, 80 grand on already. And they said, sorry, we're canceling the position. We're pulling everything in. And uh, when COVID hit, we expected the same kind of 80% reduction. We may have gotten a 20% reduction, but I don't even think we did. I think everything slowed down. I say it slowed down to like a molasses pace. Yeah. And of course, if you're moving at the pace of molasses, with the same number, actually stretching the same number is a reduction, but that wound up being a temporary and it's been a fairly normal year for us. We've reacted to it in a whole bunch of ways. So we pulled in our horns, we were careful uh, with expenses and our team and everything else. Um, But the business has been steady and our clients have been steady. And what we found is um, it's a time for clients to retool. Yep. Um, Sometimes that means layoffs. Um, sometimes layoffs mean right-sizing that they'd already planned to do because at the same time they're thinking about what comes next. And we've been doing a lot of what's next work for our clients across the board and across the country and across disciplines. Yeah, and that's kind of why I'm asking this, right? Because I, I want to get into into what you are seeing across the board. Right. So tell us a little bit about, you know, kind of where is the industry now? We obviously know from some of the stories in terms of, you know, what's happening with sales and leasing and that kind of stuff. But in terms of, you know, the human element of this, you know, where where is the industry today? Yeah. So and a couple of comments to this. One is we do a lot of work in the apartment business. Yep. So a lot of my perspective comes from that sector. And that sector, while challenged on rents a little bit, it's, it's, it's hit less hard than we'd expected. And there's all kinds of issues there. You know, the business is relatively stable overall. The future is relatively stable. Cap rates are stable, if not uh, even being reduced a little bit. And also the work we do doesn't affect, we don't look at the worker at the property level. We look at management. And so the workers at the property level, and I did a podcast this morning with some of the senior living business, and, you know, those workers are heavily impacted. So that. I won't be able to answer those questions. Sure, sure, sure. I'll answer more. What's it mean in the executive suite? And I think a couple, a couple thoughts. First of all, it's been all hands on deck at first when people were trying to figure out what the, what the, um, what this means and what COVID means and what the pandemic means. I think we've seen a lot, uh, and I know this across the board. We've seen adoption of technology that was happening slowly, happening quickly across the board. We've all done this, right? We all use Zoom now as the easiest example, but we all know how to use remote workforces. But these things require a change in how executives think about their business, how they think about their team. We've seen everyone who's our clients 
planning for the future, planning for what's next. Everyone might sometimes hope for some displacement and some, you know, some difficulty in pricing and all that, but that hasn't happened. But, you know, people are looking, okay, who are my capital partners going forward? How am I set for going forward? How is succession going forward? This may bring it more quickly to the front in terms of succession. Operating platform means even more now than it did before, obviously. So companies are just putting, particularly apartment companies, but across the board, what does op- what do operations mean? Yeah, I think those are those, and also in development, which has been challenged in some ways. We're working with lots of developers, and again, they're planning the next cycle. And how quickly do they think they're going to get to the next cycle? Do they think that they need to do that ASAP? Do they think that it's coming sort of slowly, like a moving glacier, <laughs> perhaps? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, where where is that? Yeah, so most of the clients that we work with, I'll, I'll think of a couple of examples for this. So one is, you know, if you're working with clients who have subsidy like tax credits, that that's a continuing business. So that doesn't change significantly unless the government becomes bankrupt, which could happen, but that's that's another story. <laughs> yeah. In California, the housing shortage is acute. Yeah. And that's not about to change. And maybe there's some out migration from California, but that just eases the housing shortage if that happens. There's clearly still an affordability crisis, and that's going to be exacerbated by this. But whatever, wherever we go, however we do it, uh, we have a housing shortage. So those who are building are building for the long term. Do the numbers pencil out today in today's land prices? Today's construction prices are probably down. New construction techniques. Again, we have clients who think about all these things at the same time. Yeah. And it takes, unfortunately, you know, six, seven, eight years to get something entitled. Right. The right. West Coast. So therefore, you're developing for the next cycle all the time. This is a time... A lot of people have sort of identified this as a great way to really accelerate some of the trends in the industry, right? Huge. Because we're in so, such such an extreme circumstance right now that it's it's just happening, whether we like it or not. Are you noticing that also in, in your side of the business? Yes. So, and what I didn't say when you talked about other things happening quickly, you know, we've had two or three crises in the country over the past month. So first, we have pandemic. Second, we have George Floyd. And just the realization that uh, we have to do something and our industry has to do something. Yeah. And so there's a, there's a lot around that. And some of it's, I'll call it the easy stuff, which is bringing diversity into your company, bringing diversity into your boardroom. You know, But then the work we do matters as well. And then maybe the third crisis that might now be even more real because the fires of California, we all say, well, I think there really is global warming. There is climate change. What does that mean for how we develop, where we develop, uh, what we develop? Yeah. And so all of those things will change our business. Diversity huge. So let's, you know, and, and immediate, and you're seeing a lot of hires, maybe somewhere in the pipeline, some not that are happening and both more women in the business and black and brown people in the business. So that's and, and on in boardrooms. So that's huge. And then the other thing we notice and, and we've done it in our own business is, you know, what's the office footprint look like? 
and I'm sure you've had other guests talk about this, but sure. uh, we reduced our office footprint down to, I think, about 200 square feet across 12, 11 people in my company. <laughs> and luckily, a year ago, we moved into Industrious, uh, which had an announcement with their liaison with Christian and Wakefield today. But, yeah. you know, it was the best thing we ever did because I didn't sign a five-year lease or a three-year lease with a bunch of furniture that was a mobile. And so we were able to be really flexible going into the pandemic in terms of our cost structure. And we have a business that operates well remotely. Um, we're able to maintain our corporate culture well remotely where others can't. But the changes in that business and the flexibility and all that will also will be huge and will also change. What does that mean for cities like, you know, maybe what we've called the non-primary markets? Is it Salt Lake? Is it? Denver is it Albuquerque? I don't yeah. know where the places are that people yeah. will say, "Hey, I could live there too." Yeah, Austin. <laughs> yeah, huge. Yeah. And Austin's now a primary market. So, um, but I think all of those things um, become accelerated. Yeah, You're absolutely right. Before we jump into into, I, I do want to get back to sort of sort of how you, as an entrepreneur and as a business owner, have you know dealt with this. But but I do want to sort of take it a step back and um, you you brought up a couple of issues around you know diversity in the industry and as you and I know Matt this is you know not a terribly diverse industry but some of these trends you know social trends and also other things that have happened in our in our lives over the last few years have really kind of pushed some of these these things to the to the forefront are you hopeful that the industry is starting to really kind of make a difference in that in that respect as well yeah, I'm I'm more than hopeful. Uh, I'm 64, and and my wife's a real estate professional, and she's my age, right? So we think about this from the vantage point of, you know, people in the last 10 or 15 years of their career. What does all this mean, and what have we seen through our careers? And someone said to me yesterday, and it was just fascinating, 100% true. He said, "Okay, if you look at the read executives, if you look at the CEOs, you look at the number, top five people who are easy to find." What are the statistics and, and, and you look at the boardrooms and has it gotten better and how much better has it gotten? What I know is when I go to a graduate school class or I go see the associates at an organization or I talk to a ULI Young Leaders Group, they're very diverse. They're from all over the world. Yeah. They're all colors. They're all, all each and every gender plus the in-betweens. And, and that's the business that's coming ahead. Now, what will the headwinds be for black and brown people to be successful getting to the next level? What will the headwinds be for women getting to the next level? And we have to learn new behaviors around that. Yeah. But the pipeline is, I think, hugely diverse. Are you seeing uh, certain parts of the industry being a little bit more diverse in, in, in that respect? Um, or maybe more advanced in kind of you know pushing for 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 that diversity and, and this is this is not I'm not trying to call anybody out here more just from your observation in terms of uh, you know I would expect because maybe the brokerage community is you know the largest perhaps you would notice it there but you know I well I, yeah I I think you actually called out the one that I'd call out as the most challenged but I'll I'll describe the challenge in the in a, a systemic fashion yeah. So particularly in the transactions business, which has been male dominated, and both by the investment community and by the brokerage community, the community scratch each other's back and relationships become really the business. 
Intelligence is huge. Ability to transact successfully is huge. But relationships wind up, you know, getting a flywheel of power. And the flywheel of power is those who become successful become mega successful because the more deals you do, the more deals you do. And that system has been dominated by men. They're, yeah. you know, they're men in their 40s, 50s, or 60s. They're white men. And breaking into that is tough. And then breaking into just being successful when you're one level down to create the next team that can become a blockbuster team is just in the in, in our industry hard because of the levels of synergy that deals create for those who are successful. Yeah. You know, the culture, which may be broken a little bit by COVID of, you know, late nights and going out drinking is something that not everyone's able to do and harder for women to do than men, especially if there's kids at home. And and so those behaviors are behaviors that need a discontinuous thing to break them. And may actually COVID may be part of that. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. How is recruiting done today? Are you finding that to be extremely challenging, sort of given given the new normal? Um, so incidentally, you know, you said you are 13 years old. So are we. So it's sort of interesting mm-hmm. that we both started in 2017. Yeah. Uh, so congratulations, I guess, to both Thank of us. Thank you. For, same to you. Yeah, surviving. Uh, now this is our second cycle, right? Um, mm-hmm. But tell me, you know, back in 07, 08, and even 10 and 11, I mean, you know, there you know, we were laughing at companies that were doing video interviews, right, over Zoom or whatever technology existed then. But now uh, yeah. it's got to be like the thing. Tell tell me a sort of about just sort of from a logistical point point of view, how how is that evolving? Yeah. So it's interesting. When I started in the recruiting business, we were just starting to use video technology. And the only place to use video technology, unless you're with a giant firm, was I used to go to Kinko's and pay $500 an hour to go video somewhere. Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> and I'm a, I'm a slow interviewer, so I would take – so I was a $750 interview no matter what. Oh, wow. Okay. And the connections were bad, and the other person had to go to Kinko's too. And so what you really did – and this this is what made the, real, the recruiting business work. It's just a funny story is on the nickel of your client, you'd go fly to Denver or Phoenix, wherever you'd fly – You'd interview one person because it's the only way to do it. And then you spend the rest of the day doing business development in that city. Yeah. And so the recruiting business really had this kind of virtuous cycle of, okay, clients paying me to go here. Now I can go spend the day go calling on everybody else and I'll get that interview snuck in there. And that whole business model changed uh, maybe 10 years ago when videos became, you know, you, you could do it all the time. You could do it on your computer. You could do it at your desk. And so we, we certainly got rid of Kinko's. Uh, we got rid of, Zoom, you know, it was well well before Zoom. But um, so I've been doing video interviews about two thirds of the time for the people I meet, even if they're local, you know, for, for years and years. Sure. Yeah. And now we all do it. The question is, you know, clients do it now. How do they do it? How are they comfortable with it? But clients are learning that behavior, not because of the video interview. They're on they're on Zoom all day long with their colleagues, so they've learned to be comfortable yeah, yeah. in that environment. Nevertheless, there are things you can't do in the on, on Zoom. And so most of the deals we've done over the last six months have been closed in person, you know, one round in person, and maybe it's socially distanced, maybe it's with a mask, maybe it's looking at a property. And so we, in, in a core part of our practice is, 
you know, the last interview or so is not an interview. It's actually not a dinner. You know, we, we, we have them do a work date and that work date is, you know, putting your, getting around a conference table and having a real work meeting as if the person's going to start at the job and doing some business planning and getting to know each other as if they were already there. Interesting. And yeah. you can't, you know, it's, that's just awkward on Zoom and you want to look and feel and touch people. So we found ways to make that happen. And then you mentioned earlier as a as a business owner, obviously, um, you know, you guys were lucky kind of not to go, you know, deep in or to go long on, you know, real estate essentially, right? right. And you kind of uh, went with Industrious, which is a kind of a we work type company essentially, right? How do you as a business owner look at, you know, real estate going forward um, in general? You know, how do you, how do you pass on your culture of, you know, Terra search partners to your other folks? Yeah. Does, does that concern you? Yeah, it, it doesn't. It, two or three comments to it. One is we loved Industrious. And in fact, I interviewed Jamie Hadari, who was their CEO on my podcast okay. <laughs> about a month before a month before, a month after we moved into Industrious. So I, they have a phenomenal business. And the the benefits, of, of course, the flexibility and optionality benefits are what I talked about before. But I will tell you, being in an office of four people behind a wooden door in a 10-story office building was really boring for me and really boring for my, my colleagues. And the minute we got an Industrious and I, you know, my, my, my office shrunk like, you know, to 40, 50, 60%. So I had a tiny little office, but I would sit there smiling because I had people walking by all day long that I couldn't get in my four colleagues. Yeah. And so the social interaction, even if I didn't talk to people, what just made me smile and my whole team were energized by that feeling. And so when people say, Hey, co-working might be dead because of COVID it's, I think it's totally untrue. And particularly for the small business owner, it is the perfect option for flexibility as well as giving your team that which they cannot get in a two, three, four person office. Yeah. 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 I think it's just wonderful. And it did not hurt our culture at all because I have 12 people. We, we only had three people working in San Francisco and the rest were remote to begin with. So we know how to do what we do remotely and it didn't hurt our culture, but other companies do have to have the synergy of people together brainstorming in different ways than us. And they'll have to find ways to do both. Sure, sure, sure. So this is a disruptive time. I also think that disruptive times are times of opportunity, you know, um, as your clients are kind of looking into the next cycle and preparing for that. How are you doing that, Matt? Uh, very interesting question. And, and we'll, we'll talk about us a little bit and then talk <laughs> about clients. But first of all, w one thing I find is I do this longer. I described this to a friend the other day when, when I started the firm, I just wanted to do searches and do searches by myself and be left alone to do them really, really, really well. And that's why I left the prior firm that I was with, uh, because I, I was doing volume instead of quality. And, but then after a couple of years, I, kind of was less and less interested of doing it myself all by myself really, really well. And I found myself wanting to coach and mentor a team and work together and collaborate with people. And that's really what happened to Tara. And for me, it was a blast that's moved more and more into coaching and mentoring others. So I can work through a team and I just love doing that. And I didn't know it would be a part of either my skill set or my passion, but it, it's something that I, 
uh, thoroughly enjoy. But, you know, succession's a question, right? So how do you mentor people to do wonderful, wonderful work is a hard thing to do, but a delightful thing to do when you can watch them all day long as you're working alongside each other doing the work that we do, uh, which really essentially consulting work. The challenge in a consulting business, though, is teaching people to develop business. Yeah. And that's just a, a harder skill set. And it's kind of the magic skill set. And it's the magic skill set that everyone does in a different fashion. And because they have to be themselves, fully themselves. So the question is, how does the fully yourself do it as you over there and you over there and you over there in your inimitable fashion? And so that's harder to teach and harder to create that kind of that magic thing. But we have that within our firm, so it's a big part of it. And um, so we'll see as, as we continue our business. But I have a great team. It's really delight to work alongside the others and see people becoming successful and finding the kind of passion in the business that I have. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So, Matt, to close it off, as we look, as you look around and sort of canvas the industry you know, what, what gives you hope? Do you, do you think we're going to have another lost generation in real estate like we did after the Great Recession? Or are you hopeful about sort of where things are going? I'm going to describe the part of me that's a pessimist and the part of me that's hopeful. So I, I love our industry. Our industry makes a huge difference in the world. We have a huge impact in the world. Sometimes we've had not the best impact in the world. And sometimes we've had wonderful impacts in the world. When we build great stuff in great places the right way, um, when we think about inclusion in our environments, when we think about the environment in our in the, those buildings that we build, the communities we build, it's this wonderful thing. And I think that all of the demands of society are demanding our industry to do better and to you know help build these great cities that our cities are going to become post-COVID. And so our, the charge to our industry is inspiring and huge. I'm someone of a pessimist. I'm a little bit of a dystopian. <laughs> and I'm a little bit of dystopian, you know, in this time of really ineffective, horrendous politics. I'm a little bit of dystopian at this time when you say, okay, can you beat back climate change and how can you make it work in time? And, you know, I'm nervous about income inequality and all that. But each of those topics are topics that our industry has an impact in. So turns me back to the idealistic side that says that young people getting into this business can make a huge difference. Yeah, It's a wonderful, exciting, multidisciplinary business that really does turn on young people. But the opportunity to make a difference, make an impact, see it, help our environment, and then the ability to make really good living could be really successful in how to get there. And the barriers to entry are, you know, we have, I have too many stories on the podcast of people who just somehow got from nowhere to, you know, portfolios and great impact across the board. So I'm an optimist from that standpoint, for sure. Great. Matt, always a pleasure chatting with you. Stay safe. Thank you. You too, Vlad. It's wonderful. 